episode 30 of the build. Another milestone in the books. Does anyone care about 30? It's just a nice round number. Uh, thanks for being patient in between episode 29 and episode 30. I know I took a week off. Um, it was American Thanksgiving, also known as not Christmas. Um, I spent some time with my family, saw some extended family, had a good time. Um, I was in the holiday mind and it was nearly impossible to focus on generating a show on my own. So I called on you guys for questions and you guys really delivered. So greatly appreciated. Um, before we get to that, there's one thing that I did some research into and, and put together my thoughts on. Um, and you know, that after that, we'll get to your questions. But the, the one thing I did want to sort of dive into much deeper in this episode is the sort of state of the union for the Canadians or the state of their current tank, because I know that's causing some, um, you know, anxieties from people who really want a high draft pick. So I wanted to take some time and talk through like where my, my thought process is on it. You don't have to agree. It's fine. We don't have to agree on these things, but we're almost exactly a quarter of the way through the season. The Canadians have 23 points in 22 games, basically, um, just 500 at this point. Um, Dave, you know, they started off the season pretty well, um, but they find themselves at the time of this recording with an 11, uh, a record of 11, 10, and 1. They have just lost um, to the San Jose Sharks in one of the most unwatchable games of the year. I say that knowing full well that a week ago they had a very unwatchable game that was so unwatchable that I, in fact, did not finish watching it. It was, it was not worth uh my time <laughs> uh I, so i just didn't I, I don't need a reason it was just not worth it um so in those 22 games the canadians have played they have 23 points that's an 85 point pace over the course of an 82 game season um last season that 85 points would be good for about 20th overall in the nhl otherwise known as 12th in the draft lottery so you know one of the first handful of teams that would be uh, revealed in that, or one of the middle ranking teams in that draft lottery, because I forget that they keep adding teams, but not adding playoff spots. So that, you know, keeps things, um, you know, growing on the lottery side of things, not on the playoff side. Um, finishing with 85 points likely wouldn't be ideal for the Canadians, um, because, you know, th that finishing with that many points and then finishing, you know, 12th in the draft lottery odds, it's not ideal. They, they ideally they should get a higher pick. This, this roster is a lot worse than 12th overall. Um, but there are reasons to believe that the Canadians high watermark has passed and they're regressing back to what they truly are. Um, and I'll, I'll sort of detail, um, you know, my thoughts behind, behind that. Um, in October, they played nine games. They went five, four and zero. Oh. Um, and I, you know, when that happened, folks, you know, it was sort of like, oh, the Canadians are out to a really, really good start because it's just based on expectation, right? They weren't supposed to be good. They were over 500 for a stretch of time. And folks decided, you know, this team is actually not so bad. I, there were a lot of warning signs then um, that we'll get into. But that's 10 points in nine games, a 91-point pace over the stretch of an 82-game season. That's a borderline playoff team likely not getting in the playoffs because it's usually around 93 or 94 points that'll put you in. But they were, you know, if they had continued at that pace for the rest of the season, they would have been right around the race by the end of it. But that's, of course, nine games. 
it's less than or it's a little over 10% of the the actual NHL season so it is not a usable sample size for a hockey team um, and in order for them to pass that line of you know getting over that hump and then going to 94 95 points on pace the Canadians would have needed to improve on their already unsustainable play which in November they very did not do um, in the month of November Montreal played four more games and only won one more than they did the previous month. So they played 13 games in November. They went six, six, and one. You might hear Kristen laughing in the attic. She's uh, playing D&D with friends. So that's 13 points in 13 games in November, which is the easiest math you'll hear on this podcast. That's an 82-game pace. You are a point-per-game team. Not as cool as a point-per-game player. Still pretty cool because I didn't have to do any difficult math for this one. Um, that's not a playoff team, but it's also not good enough to get particularly far into the top 10 of the draft lottery. You're probably knocking on, you know, 10th or 9th overall in the draft lottery. Um, those records are, I think, I think looking at them does tell you a, a good portion of the Canadian story to, to this point in the season. But I, I also think that they're lacking, um, a lot of context, um, you know, I think that Montreal's schedule so far, it has been a, a story of two months. I'm, I wonder where they'll head in December. But, you know, not only have, have they been a team of two separate months where they were very different in in, in both month, both in each month, I should say. Um, but they've also, like, the, the way that their games have broken out has been incredibly uh, interesting as well. Montreal has played... Nine games against teams that are currently in the bottom 10 in the league. So teams that, as of 8.30 p.m. on uh, November 30th, are bottom 10 teams. In those nine games, they got 12 points. They went 6-3-0. So that's, you know, not bad. That's, that's a pretty good... That's most of their points are coming from those games. They've played only five games against top 10 teams. And they've gone one, three, and one for three points in those games. So I wouldn't say they've had a soft start to their schedule, but a lot of the teams that they played have not have not been good teams on most nights. Like teams like the Blues, Canucks, and Flyers have already under they've underplayed the expectations that people had for them. The Flyers' expectations were already very low, and somehow they've they've managed to limbo under them. Um, the Blues, I thought, I thought they should be better, and I think they're getting better, which I'll get to in a minute. And so, and the same can be said for the Canucks. Um, that strength of schedule is going to turn on the Canadians the rest of the way. Uh, Tankathon is a website where you can simulate the draft lottery. They also have a metric of strength of schedule, which you know is a way of recording. Um, you know who has the toughest remaining schedule. I think the the, the rating in which they do that is a combined points per game of their remaining opponents. Um, the Canadians have an SOS, or strength of schedule rating, of 1.138 um, for their remaining 60 games. That's good for second toughest schedule remaining in the league behind the Florida Panthers. When I saw that, my first, obviously, my eye was drawn to the Canadians logo on that chart because I want, you know, I, I had had this sneaking suspicion and, you know, you can look on my Twitter feed at maybe it's Ian. I've, I've pointed this out that I, I'm nearly certain that, like, the Canadians have to have a lot of really tough games left. And they've played a bunch of teams so far that they realistically should beat, given 
the roster that they have. But that remaining strength of schedule, it, over 60 games leads me to believe the Canadians are going to lose a bunch of games headed into the, the final, you know, three quarters of this season. Um, but also, the team in first place being the Florida Panthers, who, as of recording, are only one point ahead of the Montreal Canadiens in the standings. And the Canadians just so happen to own the Florida Panthers' first-round pick. I'm not saying that the Florida Panthers are, like, guaranteed to miss the playoffs. Far from it. I think they're a very good hockey team. They're going to figure it out because they're built to do so in the moment. However, if, like, they get a key injury here or there, like, a guy that they cannot live without goes down, they might be in some serious trouble, which would spell some really, really good luck for the Montreal Canadiens. Um, but getting back to the Canadiens... Here are the really, there's a lot of tough games left in their schedule. They've got Boston three times. They have yet to play the Bruins, who I think to this point have lost three games all year. They have New Jersey two more times. We've already seen them absolutely kick Montreal's teeth in this year. They have Toronto three more times. Granted, they did beat Toronto early on in the season, but the Maple Leafs have since turned it around. They look like a very strong hockey team. They have Vegas one more time. Montreal hung in there against Vegas. It was a back-and-forth game, but then Vegas kind of took it over in the third period, and Josh Anderson lost his mind and got suspended. They have yet to play the defending Stanley Cup champions this year, so they have two games against Colorado. They have yet to play Seattle, who's been fantastic this season. They have two games left against them, one of which is coming up and will likely feature a very angry and motivated Shane Wright playing against Montreal. They've yet to play Tampa yet this season. Those are always going to be tough games. So using the these numbers that Tankathon provided, it's fair to assume that the Canadians on their current trajectory are going to lose a lot of games between now and game 82. Which again is fine. That was, you know, if you've listened to this show, you've you 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 know that I'm a proponent for the tank. I'm not rooting for them to lose on a nightly basis. I'm not upset when they win especially at this point in the season when there's so much runway left for them to make up losses. Um, losing games was always going to be okay this year, and it was going to be part of this season. Was losing, they're going to try to bottom out one more time, and then at that point, you're probably kicking it into, you know, you're not, you're not going for it immediately in 23-24, but you're probably trying to, you're probably not selling as much at that point. You've probably got a couple more pieces left to sell, like maybe Joel Edmondson in his final years is is still available. Um, you know, so they're, they're not going to be bottom dwellers at that point. You're kind of hoping that they're, they're in the conversation for a playoff spot until like maybe March. Um, it's, it was never about the losses on paper, it's how they lost them that was always going to be up for discussion. Games like the one against San Jose, where no one can score, you'd love a goal, a save from Jake Allen or whoever's in net, even if you can't really blame them on any of the goals that went in. Um, and the power play spends half the game on the ice and can't generate a scoring chance. Those are the kinds of games that are tough to watch and hard to see value in outside of just falling further in the standings. Like, like I don't think any players particularly learned anything in that game, you know, from a, you know, it's tough to, you know, it's not a video game. Like, it's not like you, you, you learn, you pick up experience points every time you play a game, but I, I just, there was nothing doing in that game. It was 60 wasted minutes where I guess you just get out of it and you're happy that nobody got hurt. 
Um, when the Canadians were fun this season, that early run was fueled by the big line scoring, Doc, Suzuki, and Caulfield, and scoring at will. They kind of just put the puck in the net whenever they wanted to. Um, the defense over overperformed. You know, some of those parts are still playing really well. Like, um, I think Jordan Harris is still playing well. I think Caden Gooley has some bumps here and there, but he's still playing well. Arbor Jackai is fun for what he is. Um, you know, he's still very uh, undisciplined, um, but generally speaking, is okay to have out there. And on top of that, the two, when things were going well, the two goalies playing for Montreal were playing well above their expected numbers. Their expected goals against average was always really, really surprising. You know, as all of these hockey viz creators like to do, good means blue, and they were they were blue all the way through. Um, now the first line gets skunked a whole lot more often. Like it's not just like one off game here or there. Like they're they're going periods of time without scoring, without generating anything. The defense looks really leaky, especially the older guys, um, the Mathesons, the Edmondsons, the Savards. They have not looked good. And the Habs' number one goalie in Jake Allen has cratered back down to earth. Montembeau's been great, but the Canadians see him as a backup. They basically confirmed that. Marty, Marty St. Louis basically said, you know, something to the effect of, you know, it's it's Jake's net. We wanted to give Montembeau back-to-back games because he earned them, but this net belongs to Jake Allen, um, for better or for worse, honestly. So as of right now, the Canadians sit in 19th place, and it is entirely likely that they fall even further, not even taking into account their own play. Because there are teams underneath them that I do not think will be underneath them for very long. Here are the teams currently ranked underneath the Canadians in the standings. Washington, Minnesota, Nashville, St. Louis, Vancouver, Philadelphia, San Jose, Buffalo, Arizona, Ottawa, Columbus, Chicago, Anaheim. In that order. Maybe I'm wrong at the end of the year, but I don't see the first five on that list finishing below the Canadians. That being Washington, Minnesota, Nashville, St. Louis, and Vancouver. I think those are those teams are all better than Montreal. That puts the Canadians in about ninth place in the Bedard race without even considering how tough the Canadian schedule is for the rest of the year. That's just those teams beating the Canadians on merit. And if you're looking, you know, at teams who might pick up more points, Arizona, according to that Tankathon um, report, had has the sixth easiest schedule. Chicago has the ninth easiest schedule. Philly and Ottawa are the ones that I'm really worried about um, because they have schedules that are almost as tough as Montreal's. Philly's is third. Remember, Montreal's is second in the league. And Ottawa is in sixth. So, I mean, Ottawa's in tough straights, man. Like, they're, they look bad. So, all of this to say I'm not worried about the Canadians' tank just yet. I don't, I don't think there's a particular reason to be given all of these numbers if you're just looking at wins and losses and going ah see they're winning and losing you know they're winning all these games that they shouldn't win it's bad things are trending towards a regression in fact I think we're in the middle of it now like we're already seeing it the top line is still going to pop off from time to time where we're, we're going to see nights where Cole puts in two where Nick does cool Nick things um Kirby Doc you know of the players on that line Kirby Doc often looks the most engaged, even when that line is not playing well. Um, you know, it's one of the most 
it's like the biggest cliche about about forwards in hockey is like well when he doesn't have the puck he tries really hard to get it back it is true for kirby doc if you watch him play like he he wants that puck back and he's gonna get it back from you um so i'm not worried about it i still think that they're a bottom 10 team probably closer to five or six um but obviously there are other teams that need to lose a lot of games for the canadians to also be in the position to draft that high um so all of this to say there's nothing we can do about it i just put a massive positive spin on losing for close to 16 17 minutes so that's enough of that uh let's get to the mailbag i got a bunch of questions from you guys i tried to put a, a good amount of thought into all of them so uh and i will get to every single question that was sent to me ahead of the recording so let's start off from dolores she's my relative so she has to go first those are the rules at djd on twitter can i please put somebody in the penalty box a rebuild please uh eddie and matheson are my choices eddie for passing down the middle of the ice and matheson for most things though he is a great skater question if you were the gm what would you do about the defense situation first off i completely agree on those two players being sent back to the drawing board I'm not doing a full segment on that this week. I just haven't had the time to put the thought into it because I wanted to put a lot of thought into the the, the tank aspect. Um, but they've been really bad. Matheson, I get, since he's just getting back into playing with a brand new team after you know going through training camp and getting hurt and then coming back in two, two full months into the season, basically. Um, so that's fine. I, I expect that he's going to figure it out. Edmondson, on the other hand, like... Since he has been removed from Jeff Petrie, he's been awful. Like, really, really bad. And, you know, you mentioned going up the middle of the ice. That's a thing that I said a few weeks ago on the show was that it was a thing to watch for on this defense. That when they are at their least effective, the defense is, like, near their own goal line. And they're trying to pass the puck out through the middle of the ice. And it's still really, really bad. I guess if, you know, you wanted a positive spin on that, those aren't, you know, Matheson's going to be here a while, and I still think he's going to figure it out. Edmondson is not the kind of guy who's going to be here, you know, when as this team starts to, you know, be an NHL, um, you know, contender on most nights. Um, but what would I do about the defense? I I think you, you, you have to start moving out some of these bodies to make that rotation make a little bit more sense. Like Chris Weidman, I know he's really well liked in the room, but he's just not playing enough to justify, you know, the roster spot. I mean, he went from playing top six minutes and power play time to not playing at all really fast to in practice a few days ago. I think Monaghan had a, had a therapy day and Weidman was playing center in his spot on the line rushes. Like, I I get, like, they like having him around, but, like, it's becoming, I mean, I don't know how much of an issue it's becoming, but, like, if he's holding, he can't be holding someone up from playing in the NHL. And on the nights where he has to play because you can't have a guy like him just sitting in an NHL, um, you know, uh, media media box the entire time, press box, that's the word I was looking for geez you can't have him sitting in the press box the whole time like it, it's it's a it's an issue that i think they need to work on 
Um, because the likes of Harris, Kovacevic, and and Jacki should not be sitting so that Chris Weidman can play. Um, as far as the pairings go, I don't have much of an opinion, with, but we'll get into that a little bit later because there's a question that kind of, um, you know, pairs with this. But I think it's more about opportunities than anything. It's not so much about who plays where. It's about who plays what. Harris... Getting him out of the rotation and making him a mainstay on this defense and onto the power play, like reverse Chris Weidmaning him, would be really, really nice. Because I think Harris has a skill set that lends itself very, very well to being on the power play, something that Mike Matheson, to, to this point, has struggled with. And I know it's been early and they're probably going to give him a bunch more reps. But if at some point they realize it doesn't work with Matheson out there, I really hope that Harris gets that ne next look. Um it might be Gooley, but I think they're playing Gooley plenty. They don't need to be putting Gooley out there anymore. But Harris, I think he's that guy. Um, so thanks for the question, Dolores. Uh, next from MK at Jokos on Twitter. Um, are there any forgotten, say, in the draft plus four range that you'd like the Habs to target in a trade? I've got one that off the top of my head, I just, I, the name popped up. When, when I read this question, and then I realized that he's hardly even a prospect at this point because he's in his draft plus six year. Um, and it's Matthew Phillips out of Calgary. 24 years old, winger, drafted in the sixth round of the 2016 draft. I was still in college. Um, currently leading the AHL in scoring, 13 goals, 13 assists, 26 points in 18 games. Not an apparition. Last year, he had 68 points in 65 games. He's a guy who knows how to score in that league. It is not a development league for him anymore. He has one NHL game under his belt with those Calgary Flames. That's his only NHL game to date. Um, he was on waivers before the season started, and no one claimed him. I think the cost of acquisition could be really low on Phillips because he's an unknown commodity at the NHL level with some you know, obvious upside if any of that scoring can translate to the NHL level. It's not a guarantee. It's not even close to a guarantee that he comes in and he's putting up 68 points in 65 games. But I, I just, I can't help but look at a player like that and wonder why they haven't made the jump yet. And, and if a change of scenery could do him some good size could be an obvious factor here. He's only five foot eight, but that's a guy worth buying low on at the deadline and putting him into your NHL lineup to see what he can do for the balance of the season. He might be a found wallet. You know, if he somehow ends up in Calgary for a little while and then ends up back on waivers, I wonder if Montreal takes a look. I wonder if any team takes a look. Because the scoring at the AHL level is there. I know it's not a direct translation, um, but if you're looking for a guy who might have flown under the radar, um, who might be pretty easy to acquire... I think Matthew Phillips is that guy. All right, Andrew G's up next at Giesbrechta on Twitter asks, uh, based on the long-term injuries we're seeing early this season to contenders, who do you think is the best candidate on the Habs for an early trade? Um, I think looking at other teams and seeing what they might want will influence that decision. So I'll pair this with Dolores' question regarding defensemen. I think two division rivals might be able to use some help on defense, both of them being in Ontario. Toronto has just been decimated with injuries on defense. It seems like every game they lose another defenseman. Um, you know, I know they have Victor Mete in the minors. 
Jordy Ben is is now back healthy. I think he missed some portion of a game, but I think he's fine. Um, Kyle Dubas isn't one to make a panic trade, so I doubt there's an opportunity there at the moment for a Chris Weidman deal, but might be something they try to address later on, closer to the deadline, when they have some more roster certainty. Um, on the other hand, Ottawa has absolutely stunk this year because the GM went all in on offense and did not address the defense in the slightest. Um, I think Pierre Dorian, their general manager, is feeling some heat. This team was supposed to be better. This team is as expensive as it's ever been. And that's a team and a GM you could probably sell on like a David Savard for his style of play because you know there are people who are saying that Ottawa needs that kind of rough and tumble stay-at-home defenseman. You could, I, I, I feel very strongly that you could sell the Ottawa Senators on David Savard. And perhaps, you know, as we get closer to the end of the season, maybe there's a contender who has outplayed poor goaltending. Um, I think you, if, you know, if Sam Montembeau can keep this kind of play going, there's a, there's a, there's an option there that a team might be able to buy cheap on a, on a, uh, a, a, a good goaltender. Um, perhaps the Washington Capitals. I know they spent a lot of money on um, who is it there? It's not Philip Grubauer. It's the other, the other Darcy Kemper, the other uh, Colorado goaltender. Darcy Kemper is there now. Um, I know he's there, but like they haven't looked good. I know it's not his fault, but maybe they think they need to add there. Um, Edmonton's big goalie bet in Jack Campbell does not look like it's working out so far. So a team who might have just bought on a big goaltender might be able to look at the Canadians, see Montembeau on a very team-friendly deal, um, again, with another year on that um, contract, and say that it makes sense for them to acquire him. And I don't even think the Canadians see Jake Allen as a long-term solution in net either. So moving either one of those guys I don't think is out of the question, so long as they think putting Primo in the NHL is... um, a smart idea, which I've yet to come to terms with. I don't, I don't particularly think that's a great idea, but if someone offers you like a second round pick for Jake Allen or Sam Montebo, you're probably just going to take that and call it a, call it a season. Um, so thanks for the question, Andrew. Um, we'll do one from K and then there was a bunch more from K, but we'll start with this one because it's funny. Uh, F Mary kill metal Yuppie and how are the Yeti? Also, that's the abs mascot. This one is easy. F metal. There's a good chance he's here for a good time and not a long time. You got to get that in while you can. Mary Yuppie. That's husband material. And in saying that, I am now wondering if we know Yuppie's gender. What are Yuppie's pronouns? Is Yuppie like Elmo where Yuppie's pronouns are just Yuppie? I don't think this has ever been discussed before. If someone has evidence, please bring it forward. Thank you. And of course, that leaves Howler. I'm gonna kill Howler. I, I don't know what his deal is, but he's not the other two. So I mean, that's just why he has to die. Sorry, Kay. One of them had to go. Um, up next, Sean Michaels at Swan Michaels on Twitter asks: uh, Besides, or at least addition to, uh, the playing time or the opponents, how do the new defensemen compare to Romanov? Um, if you've listened to this show for a while now. You'll know that even last year when folks were saying that Romanov was taking a big step, I was um, not on that team. <laughs> I thought that he was being played a lot, and a lot does not equal well. Um, looking at the eight guys that they have in and out of the lineup right now, 
I'm not sure I'd play him over any of the kids. So Harris, Gooley, Jackai, and I'll include Kovacevic in there because it's his rookie season. Um, I would play Romanov over Savard, Weidman, and Edmondson, but probably not Matheson because I do think Matheson has more that we're not that we haven't seen yet. He certainly has looked good rushing the puck, but that's about it at this point. Um, so with that math, he's a fifth defenseman, which is probably where I had him last year. Um, but the Canadians and the Islanders seem to think the opposite. The Canadians last year, that is. Because Romanov currently leads the Islanders in five-on-five ice time. Um, his pairing with, um, I think it's Ryan Pollock. They have Pollock and they have Pellick, and they both need to go away because that just shouldn't happen. Um, it'd be like putting Bouillon and Boya on the same pairing. He's still the same defenseman, though, from like what I can see metric-wise. Like He's still... He ha- he's shooting 0% at 5-on-5, five five, Alex Romanoff is. Which is like, offense just dies on that guy's stick. So he's pretty much the same Romanoff he was last year when Marty was playing him like a top-pairing guy. So I don't think that my expectations for Romanoff have changed even with this new crop of young defensemen. I still think his place would be around the, would be in the third pair. Because I like I looked up and down that that Islanders roster, well their their defensemen, and looked at some of their metrics, like expected goals wise, like they're not they're not that strong. They 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 bleed chances, they bleed high danger chances. Like, and I, when you're when you're the type of team that's gonna roll Romanov out there for twenty twenty two minutes a night, like that's that's the kind of play you're inviting. Because Romanov is a, he can be effective, I think, in a lower pairing sheltered role. But like they're they're playing him like he's Zidane Chara, which is just not it's just not a reality. They should not be doing that. Thanks for the question, Sean. I appreciate it. Um, Johnny at Johnny Samard twenty four asks, "Is the Dano trade the greatest fleecing in modern Canadian history? Considering it also got us Kirby Doc Romanoff was the second rounder that came with Dano. If it isn't, I have no idea what is. <laughs> like." The return in and of itself is fantastic. Like to get Deneau and then, you know, you lose Deneau because the general manager didn't want to sign him. But it also gets us Kirby Doc. Like that on it, in, the return is great. What went the other way was Weiss and Fleischman. Dale Weiss, who was acquired for NHL journeyman Rafael Diaz and uh, Thomas Fleischman, who, if I remember correctly, was a professional tryout in the season that he was with Montreal. It's one of the most lopsided deals I can remember. Then turning that second into Doc is really tidy work. You know, the second becomes Romanov. Romanov added with some other parts becomes Kirby Doc. Um, That's tidy work by two straight front offices. It's very odd that, like, when you follow the trade tree for Romanov, like, the Canadians won with two separate front offices. Um, Very much needed, um, you know, to turn him into that to kind of, I don't think it helps kickstart the, the Canadians rebuild, but whenever you can pick up somebody who's just coming off their ELC, they're a third line or, or a third overall pick, they can play center and they just haven't really quite gone for it yet. They haven't really figured it out. Kirby Doc has fit that. My expectations for Kirby Doc were, were you know, I think a little bit more tempered than most, but he's blown them away. He's been very, very good. Um, so thank you, Johnny. That was it's always fun revisiting trades that the Canadians won. There wasn't a lot of them in, 
in that era of Canadians, but that one is a, an unquestionable dub for the, the Montreal Canadiens. We'll go back to K at line composition for the next few. Um, first question, if you could wave a magic wand and trade away any piece on this team, including some of the bad ones, who would be the one you'd prioritize? I ask because we have so many. There are a bunch, but I think for me the answer is clear, and it's Mike Hoffman. I just don't see a team wanting to take on that contract with another year left on it, um, given the production that he's been able to put together. Now, he just got hurt, and before he got hurt, he was playing a little bit better. He was putting the puck in the net. Completely agreed. If he can continue to do that, I think the attitude on that starts to change a little bit. You can probably find a team that's willing to take it, you know, maybe for some kind of asset. But I don't think you're trading Mike Hoffman and like getting anything back of any sort of significant value, you know, if he hasn't picked his play up. Um, A close second is Yoel Armia. It's the same kind of deal. It's a bad contract, struggling player. Um, I'll get into a little bit more of the reasons why in another question, but those are those are guys that come to mind for me. Two, why does Marty keep scratching Jordan Harris, and how do I get him to stop? The answer to both parts for me is I don't know. I don't know how Harris hasn't played himself out of the rotation on defense in the eyes of his coaching. I think he's been better than the Vets so far this year. They've kind of been, they, they say they've been like monitoring his ice time, by that, they're, like he's still playing a ton of even strength minutes. He's not getting a lot on special teams. I really wonder what's going on there. Like if he's like behind the scenes, if they they just don't think he's getting it because he like by all accounts, it seems like he's playing pretty well. And again, this will be the second of three times that I mentioned this. I I think that he would excel on the power play. He did it in college. He did it, you know to some degree of success in college, he has yet to get a a significant look as a professional on the power play. I don't, I I get the five forward unit, but like you're missing pieces that should be playing on that five forward unit. You're missing Hoffman. You're missing Jonathan Drouin. Like you're missing guys who would typically play there. Why not? And you're already not playing the five man, five five forward power play unit because Mike Matheson is, is, is quarterbacking this power play at the moment. Put Jordan Harris out there. Put Jordan Harris out there. Put Jordan Harris out there. Thank you. Uh, third and final question from Kay. Do you think Jesse uh, Yolonen will get a call up anytime soon? Where would you put him in the pecking order of guys most likely to get a call from the AHL? Yolonen is probably my first call up option at forward. Um, I, I think, you know, from everything I've read and even last season watching him in the playoffs, I think he kind of looks done in the AHL. Like it just doesn't seem like there's much value in keeping him there other than it's a place where he can play top six minutes every night, which in Montreal, that is not a guarantee because they're already struggling to do that. Um, That said, if he somehow cracks the NHL lineup at some point, if you know, there's, there are some key injuries and he gets in there. I think if he plays well enough, he might just force their hand to allow him to stay in Montreal. Um, again, I haven't caught much of the rocket this year, but I have read a ton from people who see, who see him and they, they, it seems like he's ready to make that jump. Um, you know, not in the way that Raphael Harvey Pinard has kind of fell off this year. Elonen's kind of kept his foot on the gas and it seems like it should be about time to see what he has at the NHL level with an extended look. Um, so thanks Kay for sending in those questions. I hope the answers were sufficient. 
last series of questions here from DF at DF Pendries on Twitter. An excellent account. You should follow all of these people because they send me questions and I appreciate it. And that's that's all you need for a uh, an endorsement from me, honestly, is just interact with me. I'm pretty easy. Um, the first question, the power play, WTF. Yeah, it's abysmal. I, I don't... Um, it doesn't seem like there's really much change. And I guess when you have that, you've had the same guy in charge of it for parts of three seasons, I guess that's kind of why it hasn't improved. Now, some people argue that Marty St. Louis is in charge. I almost said Marty Rudert. Marty St. Louis is in charge of the power play in actuality. I don't, I don't think that's incorrect because when they're running practices, he's running the power play. So I get that. However, Whenever the team is down late in a game and they call timeout to get the six-on-five-man advantage, or maybe it's a late power play and they call timeout to draw up a play, the guy drawing up the play on the whiteboard is always Alex Burrows. Always, always, always Alex Burrows. I think the Canadians have tied the game twice in when, when in that situation. The Cole Caulfield won recently. Uh, actually, I think Cole was both of them. One of them... Um, one of them was, was a play in which Jonathan Druin fed him the puck. And that was one that after the game, they asked Nick Suzuki about it. And Nick Suzuki basically said, no, that wasn't the play Burroughs drew up. Druin made a read and it, and it worked out. So like of, of the, sorry, that's my alarm to take my meds. I will take them later. Um, of the times where a play that, that, that Kirk, Kirk Burroughs, that's someone I went to school with. (laughs) <laughs> the, a play that Alex Burroughs drew up in the, the times that it's worked one of those times was because the player ignored it <laughs> so I don't know what's happening on that power play I do know that they are entirely predictable they have two plays they have get the puck to Cole and have him shoot it and they have get the puck to Nick as he's you know, he does, I'm calling it uh, the, the Suzuki slingshot where he comes out of the zone slowly. He loops back around at the blue line when like Matheson gets the puck and he kind of gets full momentum going forward. And then Matheson just kind of slides it over to him in, in stride. And he's got so much momentum that he's able to back off the defense and beat the goalie with a shot. Sometimes he can get a pass off too. Those are the two options. And we saw it in the Saint, in the San Jose game. When they take away that passing lane to, to Caulfield, which they did effectively against Montreal, and when the the, the forward in the corner of the, the penalty-killing box, when he sees Suzuki do that, and he, he jumps up and he plays him aggressively, he does not let him wind up. When you do those two things, the Canadians' power play is nothing. They had a full, like a 51-second 5-on-3 to start the third period, and the puck never got closer than the face-off circles. Like... It's just, it's, it, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, losing and, and how there are ways you can lose and still be effective and still be effective in teaching your players the right things and, and you know, having good habits. This power play is a, is a zero-sum gain for the Canadians. Like, they are not gaining anything of it. They're not, it's not winning them games. It's losing them games, which is fine. The loss isn't what matters. But it's, it's the fact that, like, it's just been the same thing for three years. And we, st- like, it just has not changed. So the power play, WTF, I agree. I have no idea what they're thinking. I'd love to see some kind of change there. 
Um, second question from uh, DF. What role does Yoel Armia play on this team? I thought Andrew Berkshire said it well on Tuesday's episode of Game Over, where I was on, um, after the Sharks game. When he said Yoel Armia is a good fourth liner who's paid like a good third liner. And I think that kind of hits the nail on the head. He's a penalty-killing guy, you know, a lower lineup guy, probably plays about, should play about 10 minutes a night. He just, I the offense is not there for him. There are so many times where, I think when, there was one in the Chicago game um, where he got the puck in the in the slot and he basically had an uncontested shot and he just held it and he held it and he held it and he didn't get a shot off. Like, there are times where you just kind of wonder what's going through his head. Um, I think he's a player a lot like Josh Anderson in the fact that I don't think he knows what his role on this team is anymore. Other than he's a penalty-killing guy. Uh, last question of the show from DF as well. Um, we all know the Canadians are in a rebuild, but isn't the current lineup not the optimized configuration of what the team can be? I, I think that's really interesting um, because it's like, you know, you're trying to squeeze as much as you possibly can out of the roster that you have. I said, I think if it's not completely optimized, it's at least pretty darn close. Um, that's why I think the panic about all this, the, you know, them ruining the tank is silly. The lineup that played on Tuesday against the Sharks, that's about as good as it's going to get for Montreal from a roster construction standpoint. Like, there there are small tweaks here or there, like Harris on the power play for the third time in the show that I'm going to yell it. Um, but this feels like it's probably the most effective unit they're going to roll out on any given night. Granted, like, you know, Maybe Mike Hoffman slides in there. Could you get more out of like Uri Slavkovsky by moving him up? Yes, but I don't think the 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 idea of Slavkovsky right now is to try to get more out of him. I think it's trying to give him everything you can give him, you know, from a from a development standpoint, which doesn't automatically, you know, mean he needs to be scoring and putting up points. He has to figure out how to play in the NHL first. Um, as much as I don't like him on that fourth line because I think he's just playing with non-options offensively and he's just not being given enough opportunities to learn how to play offensively which is everyone talks oh you have to learn how to play responsibly first if he never learns how to play offensively he's never going to learn in this league so you kind of have to play both sides of that um so yeah i don't know if they're completely optimized but they're pretty close this roster is just not good enough um there's a lot of dead money on this on this roster that you know will be it will be dealt with over the next few years um so thanks df for the questions and that does it for the questions so thanks for sending those in um before i go a quick moment um to thank you guys for checking the show out for sharing it for interacting with me on twitter or in our discord server um spotify raps came out on wednesday and i don't i don't even listen to music on spotify so i didn't expect anything but um anchor the the podcaster that i use to make this show is owned by Spotify. So I got a podcaster's, um, you know, Spotify wrapped. It kind of gave me numbers on, on how my show did this year. Um, one of the, the metric that, that jumped out to me was that this show has been listened to in 22 d different countries. Um, that's actually like legitimately shocking. Um, even if that's just people traveling and I end up in your headphones while you're, you know, on a plane, I I'm so happy that you find this show worth your time. Um, I put a lot of thought and effort into everything you hear me say on this show. I spend hours on the the 
the outlines alone because I don't want to come in front of this microphone and, and be unprepared because that's a waste of your time. Um, I, I've always thought that with you know the content you consume, you vote with your wallet and you vote with your time. I haven't taken anybody's money yet and I don't have any plans to, but I have put out about 22 hours of content this year on this show. And for some reason, you guys keep listening. So thank you. Um, I hope this party gets bigger and bigger um, so that, you know, if you're not aware, the, 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 the premise of this show is that I'm going to do this to catalog the Canadians building a Stanley Cup champion. And once they do that, the show is over. Um, you know, I hope that, you know, by the time that happens, you know, if you're listening to this show, that some small part of you might actually be a little bit sad that the Canadians win the cup because it means this show is over. I, I think if I've done what I plan to do with this show correctly, I think I'll feel that I'll, I'll be, I'll be excited. I'll be so happy that they finally did it. But I think a little part of me is going to be very upset when they finally win it because I have to say goodbye to this. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate, um, you know, if you've checked it out, once, twice, if this is your first episode, thank you. Um, that's all I've got this week. This is a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. Um, if you're not done listening to my voice, I was on Game Over Montreal this weekend, or this weekend, this week on Tuesday, uh, the game against the Sharks with Andrew Berkshire and uh, guest Noah Bashir, who is lovely. It was my first time meeting her. Noah was was wonderful. We had a great, I thought our, I thought our conversation was very fun. Um, the game was terrible. We hardly talked about it, um, but it was the one-year anniversary of Mark Bergeron's firing. So we, at length, discussed the you know, the legacy that he leaves behind, um, and sort of you know, put our capstone on that era of the Montreal Canadiens. It was a really fun chat. I think that's also worth your time. Um, so check it out. You can find me on Twitter if you haven't already at maybe it's Ian at Rabbit Habs for the non-existent blog. I'm really just posting this podcast there at this point, but oh well. Finally, the music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing now is Inside by Fred Mugg. Check the description for the link to his Bandcamp page to check out the rest of his stuff. All right, guys, I will see you next week. Take care. Bye.